0: Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at MyID Care Identity Protection. The Equifax breach gave identity thieves access to personal data from millions of Americans. Now is the time to protect yourself. 25 million Americans rely on My ID Care, and right now, our listeners can get 15% off. Just go to myidcare.com slash fool to enroll. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, December 8th, and we're taking a break from stocks to talk unicorns. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, what's going on?
1: Not much. Ready for the weekend, as usual.
0: <laughs> as usual. Well, you always have quite a bit on your hands, you know, writing for the site, <laughs> managing your kids. Um, you know, you're a busy man. That's true. Um, and one of the things we're going to talk about today was kind of brought on by something that you'd written recently that I'd seen on Fool.com. We're going to do something kind of unusual on today's show. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple private companies, some you know high-flying unicorns that have been the subject of IPO speculation for quite some time, and just kind of talk about whether we're even interested in them as investments. Should they go public in 2018? Uh, it's kind of tempting to look forward and, and see if that might be happening. Um, the piece of yours on the site that I saw that kind of got me thinking along this line was, uh, some comments that were made by, uh, Jimmy Iovine, the Apple music chief about the streaming music space and specifically Spotify.
1: Yeah, he, he was kind of, um, you know, more or less suggesting that, you know, they're, they're in trouble because the streaming music business is not really a great standalone business. Um, which I mean, I, I've, discussed this in articles before but there's lots of industries where this you know they're just not great businesses and sometimes they can be better off served by larger companies that have this as kind of like a side business and they don't really need to rely on it for profits but spotify is a is a standalone pure play on music streaming and the economics of music streaming just aren't great and it's really hard to build a standalone um business on, on, on this, even though Spotify is huge and they're they're by far the most popular paid streaming service in the world. So they're they're definitely doing very well in executing, but if the financials don't look great, then I mean it's not much you can do if, if the just the economics just aren't there.
0: And and we're gonna talk about kind of some of the numbers there. And you look at the, the user growth that they've shown and and some of the top line growth they've shown it's very tempting. You know, this is one of those companies that has been um, kind of the subject of rampant speculation. I think going back even to like 2015 about when will they go public, um, hopefully on this show we might uh, ease some investors uh, kind of gumption or, or uh, enthusiasm about this company because I think you and I both see uh, a business that's going to struggle long term. For folks that aren't super familiar with Spotify, uh, it's a music streaming platform. They offer both an ad supported and a premium uh, account model. And the premium accounts cost uh, $9.99 to $14.99 per month. And that catalog that they offer gives you access to tens of millions of songs. uh, And if you have a premium account, you can download them and listen to them offline on your devices as well. And recent uh, insider private trades have valued the company at around $16 billion. I've seen that were they to go public at some point in 2018, which seems pretty likely um, they would be going public at some valuation around $20 billion or so. Um, looking at the financials that we have for them, um, we're lucky enough to get something. Uh, looking back at 2016, they put up about $3 billion, uh, in revenue. So, Looking at some of the price-to-sales figures that we've seen uh, you know, in the past year or so, for some of these companies going public, not crazy at, at that valuation, but but certainly a little bit rich, Evan.
1: Right, and I think one thing that's also kind of important to to consider is that the all of the reports that we're seeing about Spotify's potential IPO suggests that they're looking at doing a direct listing, uh, which is very different than most companies. The way that most companies go public because most companies when they go public, they have this IPO, they raise a bunch of capital, they issue a bunch of shares, they work with investment bankers. Uh, direct listing basically bypasses all of that, and they just take their shares and they just list them on the New York Stock Exchange or the Nasdaq or wherever they choose to list, and then the shares start trading. So I think that there, I mean there's a couple of pros and cons to this approach. I mean, it's simpler, it's more direct, and they basically get to avoid all these fees that companies typically have to pay investment bankers. There's no roadshow, there's no dilution to existing shareholders, uh, but the the kind of risk is that. Without the guidance of these IBankers that kind of typically crunch these valuation numbers for you, the market's kind of on its own to figure out what this company is worth. So, particularly, I mean, typically, obviously, when you talk about IPOs, you you, we always talk about valuation, right? But if you're doing a direct listing, valuation like without that, there is no kind of set valuation. It's just like the shares are here now. What what's the market going to do with them? So, you know, as far as that sixteen billion number you just mentioned, that was like the most recent private transaction but once if if they go public through this direct listing that number doesn't really mean as much because it's really all just up to the market at that point of like what the market's willing to pay so there is a lot of risk of mo- a lot more volatility because there's a lot more uncertainty um but you know so there, there's pros and cons but not many p- companies go this route but it is kind of an interesting approach and i, I do think it's interesting because if they're not because they don't they're not raising capital whereas Spotify probably needs capital. I mean, they they did a billion dollar convertible note offering in early 2016. You got to think that they're probably about time to you know run another capital raise of some sort. So it is interesting they're not looking to raise capital even as they go, might go public soon.
0: Yeah, one of the things that has led a lot of people to think that they will be going public soon <laughs> is some of the debt that they raised recently. Uh, I think about a year year and a half ago, um, where it basically had this escalating interest rate on convertible debt notes. Ah, uh, the longer and longer the company stayed private, and so a lot of people kind of looked at that as a shot clock for the company's uh, public issuance, thinking that okay, they're they're not only are they probably going to go public anyways, but now they have a financial incentive to go public because the longer they hold out, the more they're going to be paying, uh, you know, back some of these people for access to that capital. Um, right.
1: and uh, and uh, like as you mentioned, they're losing a bunch of money, <laughs> I mean, so you would think that they need more at this point. Yeah, to circle soon, b- soon or.
0: To circle back on that financial um, breakdown, they lost uh, just over $500 million in 2016 on $3 billion in revenue, and that was a widening loss off of 2015, where they lost just under $250 million off of $2 billion on the top line. So um, We talked about the economics of the music industry, it's probably worth diving into that now and why they aren't particularly great, because uh, those financials seem to illustrate it pretty well. It it is not a space where um, the numbers are going to work out for a lot of these players.
1: I mean, the margins just, I mean, going back to Iovine's comments, he's basically just argued, you know, there's really no margins in music streaming. So, you know, he mentioned some examples of other companies that have these other bigger businesses. So, uh, Apple obviously has a humongous business with all the other stuff it sells. So, it makes tons of money there. So, it doesn't really need to make money on streaming same thing for amazon or google or you know most of these companies that that participate in music streaming have huge other businesses the only pure plays that are really out there are like spotify and pandora pandora obviously is the only public pure play comparable i think but and pandora has a completely different model i mean they and they've also been a pretty disappointing investment over the years um but yeah i mean there's there's just not a lot of money to be made and I mean, one of my big questions about spotify in particular is like what why are their costs so high that they're losing this much money i mean certainly royalties are the biggest part of their costs um and that makes sense but as far as upper other operating expenses what is it that they're spending all this money on and you know as a private company we have no way to tell because we don't have any any real insight beyond the the kind of occasional leaks but the occasional leaks only give you like the top and the bottom line. They don't give you any real granular detail into the cost structure, uh, specifically around operating expenses. So I'm like, what are they spending all this money on?
0: <laughs> I have to imagine that some of that is supporting um, the really rapid user growth that the platform's seen—you know—they've they, really kind of had uh, exponential growth. Uh, you know, you go back to 2014, they had 10 million users uh, on the paid side. 2015, 20 million. 2016, 40 million. So they had <clears throat> several years in a row of 100% user growth, and now most recently in 2017, they're around 60 million paid users. If you back that out and look at the folks that are using it uh, on the ad-supported side, those uh, those free accounts, they're north of 140 million active users at this point. So they do have a well, lot of people that's using total. it.
1: So total is 140, paid is 60, so the free is like 80.
0: Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification there. Um, but that that is a lot of people using the service um, that they need to provide the tech support for, and and the, all the hosting costs for.
1: Right. Right. So yeah, I just I I would really want to see like what what they're spending money on like because that like, you know uh, beyond the royalty aspect of it which would be like the gross margin side of it is there a possibility like are they making enough on the gross profit to actually cover operating expenses to you know i just you know certainly we need to get a, a, an actual look at what their income statement looks like before we can make you know real strong calls on it but generally speaking it's just yeah, I mean, just take i have word for it if, and this guy's been in the music industry for like 30 40 years i mean if he says there's no margins i believe him. <laughs>
0: And and because they don't have another part of their business, and I think Ivine even went on to say, you know, like Amazon can just decide to bundle this uh, into Prime at an even cheaper cost. You know, I think right now uh, there's a certain part of the music catalog that is free on Prime, and then if you want access to even more music, you can get Amazon Music Unlimited and pay for that on a monthly basis. But uh, Ivine's point was, you know, if if Jeff Bezos decides we're just going to drop it to seven ninety nine a month well, what does that do to Spotify? You know, Spotify is... Which is
1: completely reasonable. Like, you could totally see Bezos doing that, because that's <laughs> that's I <laughs> <all the> world. <laughs>
0: and, and there isn't really all that much differentiating these services. You know, uh, it would be easy to liken Spotify to kind of a Netflix for music streaming, but I think the difference is Netflix has built up this really amazing catalog of Netflix originals, and that is content you can't get anywhere else. You don't really see that exclusivity in the music streaming space.
1: Right, and, and yeah, it's just a completely different se- sector. Even though you know music and video, are, you know, people tend to kind of think of them similarly, but the businesses and the industries are totally different. And yeah, like you mentioned, like they're kind of all—all all songs are basically everywhere, you know, give or take, you know, maybe a small discrepancies in like the timing based on exclusivity or whatever that you know these different companies score from time to time. But those exclusivity windows are generally limited for you know a few months or a few weeks or whatever. But um one of Ivan's points was like music is so like it's just everywhere these days. you you can go on YouTube and find songs for free and that's an example he specifically mentioned and like there's just so many places where you can get this this content for free and it's all the same and it's all everywhere. so that, that presents some really unique challenges to the music industry that the the movie and TV and video industry doesn't really necessarily have to deal with because of course there's a lot of licensed content out there too, but a lot of it's much more differentiated. It's much more like exclusive certain platforms, certain networks, and um, so it's just a very different, different beast.
0: Yeah, to borrow a term from the Thursday Energy Show, I think in in some ways digital music digital music has been commoditized, and um, when you, when you're working in that space, you need something that sets you apart from other players. Otherwise, you really don't have any pricing power. and And I think that that's one of the big things when I look at Spotify that I see for them as a as a long-term struggle is. If they can't make the numbers work now, it's not like they're going to be able to kind of Netflix it and you know raise prices a dollar every year or a dollar every eight months or something like that to eventually hit the point where they're making margins on their content because they'll hit a certain point where people are going to be like, okay, I'll just switch over to Apple Music because that's still nine ninety nine a month and I'm getting access to all of the same stuff.
1: Right. It's just the you you just race to the bottom on the price and you know it it is interesting because like what What can Spotify do? And there's not really a whole lot they can do. And I, I guess another qu- question too, kind of relating back to wanting to get more detail on their cost structures can they scale it? You know, like is this really scalable? Because this should be something that sh- that should be scalable to the point where they should be getting, you know there should be some point where they might be able to make money if they can get to large enough, but they're already so huge and they're still losing money. So that kind of undermines the idea of scalability. If they're already at sixty million paid users, still losing quite a bit of money, Why? where's the operating leverage?
0: I think losing money is probably going to be the theme of today's show. Uh, we're going to also talk about Uber and Lyft in the second half of the show. Before we get over to that discussion, though, support for Industry Focus comes from our friends over at My ID Care Identity Protection. The recent Equifax breach exposed the most sensitive and personal data of half of the U.S. adult population. Now more than ever it's important to protect yourself from the risk of identity theft. My ID Care provides concierge-style service and has an incredible 100% success rate for identity recovery. With 24/7 monitoring on your information, you can join the 25 million Americans who trust My ID Care and spend your holidays celebrating instead of stressing. Listeners, you can get 15% off by visiting myidcare.com/fool. So Evan, for the second half of the show, we are talking about The biggest unicorn out there, the biggest startup with over a billion dollar valuation, and that is none other than Uber, and they've been head of the pack for quite some time.
1: Yeah, I mean Uber is just insane, and it's it's so expensive, and I I honestly kind of sometimes wish I could short them. Um, But I mean, Uber, in my opinion, is one of the most unethical companies that is in recent memory that like is just so ruthless in seem to have no scruples and they'll just do whatever it takes and I just don't think it's a sustainable approach even before you even get to like the numbers or the financials like culturally speaking they're just such a terrible company.
0: <laughs> they have had a really rough 2017. Uh why don't we give a couple bullet points on exactly what happened for the company? So you you have these series of reports of the workplace culture of sexual harassment. Um you have Issues with the company skirting local law enforcement with some app features that were available to drivers. You have a lawsuit from Google's self-driving car project Waymo about intellectual property, and then all of that led to founder Travis Kalanick stepping down as CEO due to this just flurry. I mean, this was was like just an avalanche, basically, of of really bad PR for the company.
1: Yeah, and it's just. I mean I'm actually kind of surprised that it didn't – all this stuff didn't kind of culminate until this year. Like this stuff has been going on for many years at Uber. Um, and I mean they've had – they've always been ridden by scandals. I mean there was that scandal a couple of years ago that you and I were talking about earlier where they um, were going to set out to create a million-dollar smear campaign against a journalist for writing negative things about it. I mean like what company does that? <laughs> you know, and that was like a couple of years ago. But the, the, even still, Uber has just continued to march higher and higher in valuation. Continue to grow their position in market share because they're so aggressive. Um, so it, these scandals haven't really taken a toll until this year, which in my mind is kind of you know late.
0: <laughs> well, the, these scandals have kind of done two things that you don't see all that often um, for a kind of industry leading company. I think one is you know given they're private, they actually had a, a revision down in their valuation. You know they're currently around a valuation of about sixty billion or so at times it seemed like they were slightly above that based on some insider trades and given uh, a recent interest in investment from softbank uh, which is this japanese telecom conglomerate uh, they're looking to buy 7 to 10 billion dollars worth of shares in the company and they're going to be doing so from early investors that are taking a 30% haircut on their shares so you don't you don't very often see a private growing you know big time company like this have people get access uh, at a reduced rate? You know, typically you see up rounds of valuations and up rounds of valuations. So uh, there's point number one there, and then point number two that you don't see all that often is you had a major exodus of people who saw this, you know, bad press, saw like what a uh, kind of toxic environment there was at this company, um, and decided we're going to go over to their competitor Lyft, we're going to we're going to abandon Uber, and and that was another big PR thing that they had to overcome this year.
1: Right, and, and yeah, they, they have. They are in the process of potentially having a, this down round. And generally, there have been a lot more down rounds, like where, where valuations come down in the private market over the past two years or so, um, as kind of this unicorn market has gotten a little overheated. Um, and yeah, Uber is certainly the, the biggest example. And SoftBank's doing this, as you mentioned, this tender offer where, where they're trying to buy shares. at a, I think, I think, I think the valuation is around 50 billion versus the prior valuation of like. 60 or 70 68 or something if i remember um, so that doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence but they are trying to accumulate um, a, a position in it i think they're sh- shooting for like 15 20% stake but it's also important to note that if through a tender offer they're they're buying their shares off existing shareholders so uber itself won't get any of that money they're not raising capital through this um, so it's kind of this private negotiation where SoftBank is trying to just tender you know, get investors to tender shares
0: yeah and <laughs> you know, you, you hear these downrounds, it's not something that we we would see all that often. Looking at the financials for this company, in spite of all of these crazy things that have hit them this year, they're still growing and, and they're still, you know, growing very well. In twenty sixteen we saw net bookings of twenty billion, revenue of six point five billion on that, and that net bookings is basically um, what was uh, what was booked as rides on the app itself, uh, and then on all of that, income of two uh, losses of 2.8 billion. You go to this most recent quarter that we have access to, Q3 2017, they posted net bookings of 9.7 billion, uh, which is up 12% year over year, and you compare that, that's basically half of what they did in 2016 in one quarter there, uh, revenue of 2 billion. and again losses of 1.5 billion uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you show massive top line growth here and it seems widening losses as well
1: right I mean they just burn so much cash at this this incredible rate because I mean I just see uber as they're subsidizing your rides using venture capital money and in an effort to just be super aggressive on pricing in order to grow their market share and take down all their rivals but it's just I, – I just view it as, as unsustainable because they're losing so much money. And there's this this good quote that's relevant here, which is actually uh, – we were just talking about Sarah Lacey. She said in an interview recently, the thing that's going to kill Uber has nothing to do with who's at the company, has nothing to do with the scandals, has nothing to do with any of this. The thing that's going to kill Uber is when Uber finally has to charge what it costs to get a car to you. And that's kind of speaks to the the underlying economics of how Uber operates is that they're they're just charging – they're just – Pricing below cost and, and as like a, essentially a loss leader, to where they're losing incredible amounts of money and they're growing market share and growing their their top line, but it's they're on this really unsustainable path.
0: And early on, that narrative made sense for Uber, right? Because they were kind of selling investors on this idea that we're going to. Um Price very competitively, and sometimes even I think take some losses on rides, um, so that we can build out our driver network, build out our services, and um, you know create this massively disruptive transportation system. Um, and that worked really well. It was able, you know, it got them all these drivers in all these different cities. It helped a lot with their international expansion. But what then happened was they had competitor Lyft um, basically do the same thing, and and once you have a network of drivers built out. There's no exclusivity with those drivers, and so you know I've gotten into so many Ubers where you know they have the Uber sticker, but they also have a Lyft sticker, and maybe they have a Via sticker, and that's a big service here in DC as well. And so they can drive for any of them, and the drivers themselves are going to kind of push towards whichever platform giving them the best deal. Um, that makes it really tough for them to ever kind of hike prices back up to where they should be, so that they can actually start making margins on all these rides.
1: Right. I think that's kind of the the sad thing about this whole situation, is that Uber has single-handedly created this perception in people's minds that rides should cost less than they actually do. And because of their aggression and their size, they kind of force their rivals, like Lyft, but also just kind of like this whole industry, to kind of cut their prices it's just to try to compete, and then it just sets the entire industry on this the same unsustainable path. Where if people think a ride should cost X amount of dollars, but it's that's you know way below what it should cost, how do you change? How do you like? It's really hard to reverse course on that that value perception from the consumer. Like, hey, oh, I'm so used to paying twenty dollars for a ride, but if this ride should cost thirty, then the, you know, it's just—it's really hard. How do you go back from, it, from that? You
0: know, it's tough to raise prices once you set certain expectations for what something should yeah, cost.
1: Exactly. And
0: and the impact when you look at Lyft's financials too, um, we have, we have some access to those. You go to 2016, they booked 700 billion in revenue and lost 600 billion, oh, sorry, 700 million in, uh, in revenue and lost 600 million on that. So uh, clearly, the economics aren't looking all that great for them. The company has said that they are looking to be profitable by 2018, which seems kind of crazy to me, given the pricing environment that the, these two guys are in, and and really kind of what they've created for themselves as a market.
1: Right. I mean, I think the one thing that could that really has the potential to change everything, um, and, and quite literally everything, is this. You know, this obvious thing that everyone's been talking about, which is just autonomous driving, which you know has the the potential to dramatically shift the cost structures for these companies. Because then you're no, you're no longer relying on these contractor drivers, which are the bol- you're a huge part of your cost structure. Um, and then if you can shift to this kind of first-party corporate-owned fleet of autonomous cars, then everything turns and the, ec- the entire economics of the industry just completely change. And of course, like that's many years off. So And, and there's, there's so much uncertainty whether who's going to get there first, if people will get there, what technology are going to use. It's really too early to call. But... Just to kind of acknowledge that that has the potential to to dramatically shift economics uh, in favor of you know sustainability for these companies.
0: Yeah, both of these companies, as they currently exist, I don't think can continue running for the next fifteen years. I just don't think that the money is going to be there for it to happen. Um, were they to basically be able to create a car and you know pay X dollars to create that car, and then know that that car is going to have a useful life that earns it you know, 3X or 4X in fares, um, that's where the network of transportation becomes really compelling. Um, I I think something else with these businesses to kind of keep an eye on is what are they able to leverage this network to do outside of just getting people from A to B? You know, if if they can use this as, you know, like last mile logistics, um, if I'm sure they're also working on other alternatives that aren't as clear to you and I, but um, I, I think Kind of like Spotify, these two companies, as they currently are, uh, don't look like great long-term businesses. A lot of things have to change for the economics to look better
1: right. I, I'm not I would not touch Uber at all at these you know if they want public at these levels, I would have zero interest in them, not only because of the financials, but again, from all this corporate culture stuff, I mean, it's just, I mean, you have to really think sustainably in terms of just ethics, <laughs> just basic ethics. And Uber has a horrendous record with when it comes to, to ethics and just being a good person, <laughs> being a good company, you know what I
0: mean? Well, and on the note of autonomy, too, you know, uh, was it Lyft is partnered up with GM uh, for some of their autonomous efforts? Is that right?
1: Right, I mean, GM has a big stake in Lyft. They invested in Lyft um, a few years ago, and they're, they're you know so they have a, a, an ongoing relationship there. Um, and, and GM is obviously developing a lot of self-driving or autonomous um, technology as well. And then you also have to talk about Tesla because you know Tesla's in there trying to create their own thing, you know, autonomous cars. And theirs would be more of like a network where the car's original owner, assuming that they can get their cars to full autonomy, you know, then you have a whole network of just private owners that. Allow their cars to go out there autonomously and provide transportation uh, at no co- no real cost to the driver, but then you can you know, generate some revenue there. Um, so that would be kind of like a uh, decentralized network, but owned and operated by Tesla, to where the owners get a cut or something. It's not clear yet, but that's kind of the the general thinking. And then of course you have Waymo, who is suing Uber for stealing trade secrets, and Waymo is you know you know a pretty mature uh, subsidiary at this point of of Alphabet. I mean, they've been around for you know ten, ten years or so, um, and I mean, but it just goes back to this the culture thing because there it just came out that Uber has this corporate espionage team <laughs> that specifically is was trying to steal trade secrets from other companies, which you know so yeah, Waymo's in here too, trying to get there first. So you know, it's really a race to see who gets to autonomy first and who can actually put together. The operations like the network and actually get that part going as well as
0: the economics down I will put it to you before we wrap up Evan if you had to buy one of these companies And hold you know, they go public and you have to buy and hold them for five years uh, uber lyft spotify, which one do you like the most?
1: Uh, I Don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean I, I don't really like any of them, but if I had to I'd probably pick spotify just because I at least understand where they're going. There's more visibility there compared to Uber and Lyft. It's just I don't see any end in sight to they're bleeding. I don't know how they're going to get profitable <laughs> without losing all this venture capital money. But, yeah, I don't like any of them. But the least worst one <laughs> is probably Spotify.
0: I think for my hypothetical money, uh, I go with Lyft. And, and I think it's just because Spotify's business, um, well, there's a great consumer utility for it. Uh, I worry about them ever really being able to make the money work, um, and they are very limited in what they do. I think the same goes for Uber and Lyft, but um, I like Lyft's partnership with GM, I like their company Ethics a lot more, and I think that there's some optionality. if If things ever turn over to autonomous driving, um, that they can maybe make the numbers work, but also uh, take that technology, take that network, and do some other really amazing things with it, maybe on the delivery side or something like that. So, uh, that is a big-time hypothetical, but, but that's uh, that's why they're my pick. Um, anything else before I let you go to Evan?
1: No, I think 2018 will be an interesting year to, to see what happens with these companies.
0: Yeah, we've been kind of treated uh, by some really interesting IPOs in 2017. I'm hoping 2018 is the same way. Listeners, that'll do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say hey, you can shoot us an email over at fool.com, <clears throat> or you can tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out The Fool's family of shows over at fool.com. podcasts As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis, thanks for listening and Fool on.